see you guys tonight for week five. And uh, appreciate you being here. I think there's something else going on tonight. I'm not quite sure what it is. I kind of heard something maybe happening. Um, but uh, certainly not as important as this. But uh, we do want to thank you for being here. Uh, week five. I uh, want to encourage you as well, if you've missed previous weeks, you're here, or if you'd just like to get some uh, CDs of the previous weeks, well, they're right over there. You can get CDs of the previous weeks if you like. Um, tonight, I, I'm giving a shout-out to the uh, Macaloosas. Uh, Craig and Karen have been hosting families in their house. Uh, Susan and Marilyn Abadie and Dottie and Ray Majora. And I got there um, tonight... Dinner was great. Okay, here's what they're eating tonight at the Macaloosa house. So I'll give you the address in just a minute in case you want to go there. Uh, veal pork chops, sweet potatoes, and smothered zucchini, and squash and onions. Dessert is Karen's first time making a keto chocolate cake with a keto icing. So, anyway, maybe, should I put the menu back up for what we had tonight? Should I do that? But anyway... Thank you, Macaloosas and Abadies and Majoras for joining us and all you other folks that are with us tonight. We really appreciate uh, you being here tonight. We're talking about more about the Bible. I mean, Alpha's an introduction to Christianity and what is Christianity but what we learn through uh, this historical manuscript called the Bible. And so, you know, many years ago, if you'd asked me about the Bible, I really, it wouldn't have taken very long for me to give you an answer because I didn't even know what a Bible was. Because really with my meology, uh, I didn't need a Bible. I just needed me. I mean, I was the arbiter of truth, and what I believed about God was what I believed about God, and the Bible wasn't really even relevant to my thinking. But an understanding of the importance of the God of the Bible means that I have to have some knowledge of the Bible. And that makes a whole lot of sense to me now, though it did not make much sense to me at all many years ago. But before I came to become a follower of Jesus, uh, if you'd have tested me on the Bible, I, I think I would have flagged it terribly. And I, I thought I'd bring to us a quiz tonight, probably would similar to what I would have had, but I just maybe you'd like to take this quiz tonight with me, and if so, it's just see how you do. So here's a, a remedial Bible quiz for, for us tonight. First question, what is Jesus Christ's middle initial? Anybody know? Jesus H. Christ. You didn't know that? I mean, that, I thought, did anybody know that answer? Anybody? Nobody knew. You guys have to look that up because it actually is, is uh, that is true. No, it's not actually true, but there's some interesting religious background to that. Uh, second question. Uh, in what Bible book is God addressed as the man upstairs? I, I, didn't, don't, I didn't know that one either. Number three, what book reveals the location of the stairway to heaven? I mean, that's the gospel according to Led Zeppelin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, then number four, what book reveals the location of the highway to hell? Because, you know, I think that's the gospel according to ACDC, I'm not, but maybe so. Um, then... I, I was sure I had this one right. Number five, is Noah's wife's name Joan of Arc? It's like, true or false? I mean, I just thought, sure, why not? Um, name the four Gospels. 
Okay, St. John, uh, St. Paul, um, St. George, and St. Ringo. I think that probably was the Gospels there. Um, write down three Bible verses you know. Now, it's like that, was, that took a while, but I, it's just, I was writing here. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. I think that's really the Gospel according to my mom. Um, who promised me that if I didn't clean my room, I would be seeing God in the not-too-distant future. Um, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. Doesn't that sound really good? Kind of weird. Um, and then three, I knew this was right. God helps those who help themselves. Right, now, the interesting thing about that is none of these are to be found in the Bible, just in case you were wondering. But... Um, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Actually, the Bible would say, unless you are heavenly minded, you are of no earthly good. That's a clear in the Bible. Actually, the more and the better understanding we have of God in the Bible, the more we actually have to bring to the earth. And then God helps those that help themselves. Actually, that would be just the opposite. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. We are helpless. So one or the other is going to be true, that God helps those that help themselves, and our relationship with him and our determination for life in the dash and life on the other side of our last heartbeat is determined by us, our helping ourselves. Um, but either that is true or Romans chapter 3 verse 10 is true whereby, where the Bible says there is none right, none righteous, not even one that all have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. So two cannot be true at the, those two cannot be true at the same time because they conflict with one another. And as I shared with you uh, last week, which I'll, I'll get to that in a second, I did have a couple more questions, I forgot. Um, why should you read the Bible? I had no idea why I should read the Bible and I actually had no idea what a Bible was. Now growing up, I grew up you know, religious. I, I, there was somehow or another a Catholic missile got in my house. Now, I didn't even, I, to this day, a miss, I think of the word missile and I'm thinking about a rocket, something taking off. Um, but I remember putting my hand on that little Catholic Bible. So, I mean, I was a devoted meologist. I just want you to know that. And I put my hand on that, that, that Catholic missile, thinking it was a Bible, not knowing the difference, saying, God, I promise I'm only going to sin five more times. Meant that with all my heart. But by the end of the day, I found we were renegotiating the contract. And it's, it would have been that way ever since, unless I'd have come, by God's grace, to see the truth. Um, number nine, is Christianity based on the Bible? Well, that, that makes sense. But I didn't know what a Bible was, but it, it sure made, it made sense. Is Christianity based only on the Bible? That seemed a little bit narrow. So I don't know how I would have answered that. But uh, then this question here is a bonus question. So I, I think, you know, bonus question is a little bit, little, usually a little bit easier, remember that? So you could maybe get a question correct. Uh, this question is, what Bible verse puts the most fear of God in you? I thought about that for a while and I said, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Uh, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good so you'll not bake. That's it. Something like that. Uh, so I had no knowledge of the Bible. And so tonight when we talk about why and how should we read 
the Bible. I think it's really important that we know that because, again, it's either God helps those who help themselves. This is our effort to reach a holy God, which we've talked about, is impossible if what the Bible says is true. This is man helping, trying to help himself. This is God in his grace telling us, no, you can't help yourself. I have to be the initiator. And we talked about that in great length last week. And I would encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's talk, please, to get a, get a hold of that. I think that would be helpful. So, um, so when I came to the Bible, it really wasn't, uh, I, I, since I never read it, all I can do, could do would have self-proclaimed, self-creative interpretations of, of God. I, I, and that was as a committed meologist. I, so I assumed things about the Bible um, and thought stereotypically. But stereotypical thinking is really not necessarily thinking. And because I didn't know what the Bible says, um, and maybe because you didn't know what the Bible says, you, you just kind of make assumptions such as uh, you can't understand it. It's really too hard. Uh, you know, there's so many different interpretations. Who's to know what's really the right one, what, what isn't? Um, it's all bad news anyway. So, I mean, I got enough guilt in my life already without the Bible just piling on to tell me how bad I am. Or this is my personal favorite. You're not supposed to read it. So you need to leave that to the professionals. You need to leave that to the guys that have all the schooling. Um, really? I mean, where did we get that thought? Because that thinking is kind of like God helps those who help themselves. It is not to be found anywhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite. And I could bring to you several scriptures about that, but let me just share one of you, them with you. Here from the Gospel of John, this is what Jesus says. He says, these things are written, I mean, pardon me, this is what John says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life in his name. Hey, why do you write something down? Well, either for you to remember it, or if you're distributing it, so that others will read it. So this is written, why is this written? Well, if Jesus is the Christ, I think that would be rather important. It's written so that you will read it, and by reading it, hopefully, believe it, have faith, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you will have life in his name, life in the dash, and life on the other side of our last heartbeat. So the Bible is written for you and me to read it because it is a revelation of God. So we're going to talk much more about that. So I guess if I were to ask you a little personal question tonight, how many of you would say that you have read more out of the Bible in the last four Tuesdays than maybe you have in the last four years? <laughs> yeah, or maybe the last 14 years, or maybe the last 40 years. Now, isn't that amazing? Because we don't know things like this. We don't know that God has given us this this book or this compilation of books to express himself to us so that you and I will know of who he is. You know, the Bible is the revelation of the mind of God and it is a revelation of the heart of God. 
uh, the mind of God, which is so infinitely greater than our ability to fully understand, yet he has made us, the Bible says, in his image, and so we can understand things of God in part enough. We see his omniscience, you know, his all-knowingness. We see his omnipotence, his almightiness in not only creating all things, but creating all things with order and creating all things with purpose. And so the Bible is also the revelation of God's heart. It's about the intellect of God, but also the emotion, if you will, of God, and that he created man to enjoy him. He created man to to know him, um, and as well to steward and to work in and to be uh, an over be overwhelmed by the beauty of God's glorious creation. That enjoyment of God through relationship with Him has been marred, though, by our rebellion through our progenitors, by our forefather Adam and Eve. Um, and we discover that clearly in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. So, why should we read the Bible? Well, if you're, we're, on, we're in page, I think it's 34 in our, in our book. Page, it, it's, uh, in the manual it says it's a, it's a popular book. It's a very popular book. Let me just give you an example of how popular the Bible is. And this doesn't make it the word of God, it just makes it incredibly powerful and popular. If you were to take these authors and all the books, these are 23 of all-time best-selling authors of all time, and what they sold in just 10 years, okay, they sold in 10 years three and a half billion copies in 10 years. The Bible sold over five billion in just 10 years. Now, if you think about that, the Bible was first printed in about the 1450s. The Bible is the all-time bestseller every year, far outstripping any other book that is sold. And that doesn't even count the number of copies that are, uh, are given away. And so we see that the Bible is an amazingly popular book, an all-time bestseller. Uh, it's also powerful in its production, its purpose, and its preservation. Um, there are a few powerful, powerful people who, whom the Bible has a, had a very powerful impact upon. Let me just give you some guy you may recognize his name, George Washington. Um, he says, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Now think about that for just a minute. I, don't, I can't go into this too much, but if, it, if, if George was right, if he could not tell a lie, and this actually was right, it's impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Well, what happens if you do try to govern the world without God and the Bible? I mean, is it just coincidental maybe that the more we push God out of the public square, the less of him we have, the more we have of other things that are, seem to be growingly violent and even anti-God? So Washington may have been on to something. Uh, Abe Lincoln, here's another guy that's been in the news lately. Um, he says, I believe the Bible is the best, best gift God has ever given to man. All the good that comes from the Savior of the world is communi to, communicated to us through that 
book. There's a man that was a fairly important person in history. Uh, then Reagan, we go you know, forward to Ronald Reagan. He says, within the covers of the Bible are all the answers to all the problems, or for all the problems men face. I mean, these are men, and I could, give, I could go and give you a whole lot, men and women that, I mean, here's the beginning of our nation, and George Washington says it's not happening without God and the Bible, the beginning of the nation. Here's Abe Lincoln and the potential cracking open and division of this nation saying, I believe the Bible's the best gift God has given to man. And here's Reagan at the, you know, at the, the precipice of the Cold War writing within the covers of the Bible are all the answers you need. Really? When we're staring down the Russians? So these are some men that had a lot of stress in their lives that realized the answer is God and the Bible. So it's popular, it's powerful. Its preservation is amazing. Uh, there's tremendous historical um, encouragement, whether you are a believer in the Bible or not, to look at the historical evidence that supports. Remember in week two, we talked about textual criticism, the science of, of, of literary criticism, which determines books of antiquity and manuscripts of antiquity as to whether or not they're to be believed or not. And we talked about the Bible far surpasses any other work of antiquity and the qu quantity of manuscripts by thousands and thousands or the quality, the consistency of manuscripts, how much all those documents uh, concur and agree with one another and the shortness of time between the original writing and the first manuscripts. We saw that. Um, a, a guy by the name of uh, Nelson Gluck, he was the president of Hebrew Union College. Uh, he was an archaeologist. He used to walk around with a, a small little Bible in his back pocket. And he would literally say, this is where it said this happened. And they would go and they would dig and they would find those things that the Bible said in the ground. This is what, um, this is what Nelson Gluck said. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form the tesserae or little tiles, you know, you see in mosaics, the tesserae in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historic memory. And I wish I had time to bring out to you dozens more quotes just like this. Uh, there's, a, there's a periodical called Biblical Archaeology Review. I have a copy of it. It's put out, I think since 1974, it's been published six times a year. And it basically is a periodical that just gives you all the archaeological, all the archaeological findings. And it's a fascinating periodical to have, which again, like Gluck said so many years ago, it continues to support and corroborate the historical accuracy of the reference of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. It's fascinating. There's a lot of evidence there. So, Again, we see through manuscript evidence, we see through archaeological evidence, historical evidence. We also see through, through prophetic uh, evidence. Now, what, what, what would that be? Well, 
in the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call, Gentiles call the Old Testament, um, there are over 330 prophecies, in other words, written down statements by, the, by certain authors that said that there would be one who would be coming that would be the chosen one of God to come and free the people of God, who'd come to set them free. Over 330 prophecies. And uh, those passages, if you have a chance to go into any of those passages, they're just fascinating. Um, but there was a, a scientist and author by the name of Peter Stoner and his book called Science Speaks. Um, he wrote on the, on, the, on the topic of the science of probability. And the science of probability states that if one person were to fulfill just 48 of those 330 plus prophecies, that would be one person fulfilling 48, the probability of that would be 10 to the 157th power. So you get that 10 with 156 zeros after it. That would be amazing. Well, let's just look at eight. For one person just fulfilling eight of those prophecies. So these, let's just pull these out here. Place of birth, type of birth, time of appearance, Jerusalem entrance, betrayal, type of death, burial, and resurrection. Well, for one person to fulfill just eight of those would be 10 to the 17th power. Okay, that's 10 with 16 zeros after it. That is that number that you're seeing up there and that number you're seeing down here. Okay, one person fulfilling just eight of those 330 is 10 to the 17th power. Let me give you a picture. And this has been scientifically shown. They've done the math on this and it's accurate. Let's say you take the state of Texas. 10 to the 17th power is the state of Texas, not the state of Rhode Island uh, or Maryland uh, or New Hampshire. The state of Texas, 10 to the 17th power is silver dollars two feet deep across the entire state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. Now, can you imagine illegal immigration that we would have if it actually were that deep in silver dollars? But that's another topic. So, but if you were to take that, one of those silver dollars and just mark a big blue or red X on that, throw it into the, to the middle of the state and get a little Texas twister and just stir all those up, take a person, blindfold them, let them go anywhere in the state that they want to, the chance of them reaching down and picking the silver dollar with the X on it is 10 to the 17th power. Just eight, eight. We're talking about a person that fulfilled over 330 of those prophecies. Fascinating historical evidence. And so, uh, so prophecy, manuscripts, history, archaeology, amazing things that support why I should read the Bible because there is an amazing, immense treasure trove of evidence to support this book's veracity. Um, you know, and today though, you know, we, we're so touchy-feely today in so many ways. We just, we, we want to believe something because it makes it, us feel good. And we just don't want to believe something, as we've talked about before, because it, it doesn't make us feel good. It makes us feel bad. But here's the thing. Truth is self-validating. And I love this, that uh, according to the Bible, God has not asked us to check our brains at the door. Um, he has asked us to engage our brains uh, in humble search, not, you know, God, I dare you. 
to do this. No, to humbly search, persistently search, to humbly search because if he is, he's God and, and I'm not. I'm the creation. He is the creator. And, and here's another thing about the Bible that I think that's important for you to know and for me to know. The Bible tells us all we need to know. It doesn't necessarily, God doesn't necessarily tell us all we want to know. God has chosen to tell us all we need to know. So, not necessarily all there is to know. And I know there's a lot of hard questions out there, but I love, I love what Mark Twain said. This is what Twain said. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. Do you see what he's saying there? He said, I see enough in that book that makes me wonder. The other stuff, I'm not so sure about. But there's a lot that I see in here that I just don't know quite how to answer, but I do understand what it's saying. So, and so here, here's the thing. According to the Bible, if true, God wants you and me to humbly, thoughtfully search for him, to find him. And that's its promise. So let's do a little, we did a little quiz earlier. We do a little quiz here. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the 22nd chapter, a lawyer came up to Jesus. Now, when we talk about a lawyer here, we're not talking about, he wasn't a personal injury attorney or anything like this. It wasn't Morris Bard or he was going to put the Womack on him or anything like this. Um, but here it says, a lawyer asked Jesus a question testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And here's the multiple choice question for you right now. And with all your sincerity. Just be sincere. Just whatever you believe, just believe it. Is that what he said? Uh, maybe he said, well, your enthusiasm. Just be enthusiastic about what you believe. Uh, maybe uh, your higher consciousness. I, I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, your gut feelings. You know, just, just whatever you're feeling that day. Maybe your gut feelings. Um, or maybe mind. Hmm. So this lawyer, he's not a lawyer like you and I think of a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He is a professional. He is a uh, knowledgeable in the law of Moses, in the Tanakh, the, the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, with all your emotions, everything in your being. And he says you'll love him with all of your mind. Now, this is fascinating. This is a command that God says he gave to the Jewish people that he gives to us saying, hey, love me with everything in you. I expect you to use your brain. Look at this. And then he said this. He says, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. Because he's saying is the more you know me, the more you will love me. And his word, the why we read the Bible is that this book is a revelation of the God who says, love me because I love you. I've initiated. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And we get to know of his love so much through this book that he's given us, these books that he's given us called we call the Bible. So 
why and how should I read the Bible? Well, one, God has spoken to us in our book through revelation, through revelation of himself. I'm just going to give you a couple of quick Bible facts here. You may want to write these down or I can get you this information here. Just some historical facts surrounding the Bible. One, the Bible's comprised of 66 books. Okay, there are 37 in the Hebrew scriptures or in the, the, what we would call the Old Testament or 29 in the New Testament. Okay, so the Bible's actually not one book, the Bible's actually 66 books. This is a fascinating thing about the Bible. One, there are 40 authors from various walks of life. Written across a time span of 1,500 to 1,800 years. It consists of narrative history, war stories, drama, expositions, expositions letters, prophecies, sermons, and wisdom literature. Okay, the Bible is a, is a variety of different forms of writing. It was written on three continents, and it was written in three different languages. So the miracle of the Bible coming together to what we have today is in fact a miracle that is miraculous. It is amazing. And from Genesis through Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, there is a th the thread of the truth of God through every book, through every continent, through every year, through those three languages that speak consistently without contradiction of who this God is, who he is, and who we are, and his desire and design for each and every one of us. So, fascinating. And I, we've got a little something for you tonight, too, later on. But just, you know, if we were to break down the books of the Bible, which I am not going to take much time here, but you just see here in the Old Testament, you have the law, which is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. Okay, you see the first five books of the Bible. You see, there are historical books. We have 12 books that are historical books. We have what are called the poetic books, like you've heard of the Psalms or Proverbs. Um, also, wisdom literature is called. We have the major prophets, because just because they're bigger books, minor prophets, because they're smaller books, all these prophetic books. Um, and then in the New Testament, we've got the Gospels that's, you know, that speak of the, the life of Jesus. We have the book of Acts, which is really a, a history of the first church. And then we have Paul's epistles. Paul wrote, I believe, 13 books in the New Testament. And those are written to churches. Those are written to actually to people. If you were here last week, uh, Renee, you're not going to know what I'm talking about here. You think I'm a bartender, maybe. Um, uh, those are written to people that are in Christ. These gospels in the book of Acts could be written to people that are not sure yet, but are coming to know Christ, as are the letter to the Hebrews and James and all these other general epistles. And then we have a prophetic book, which is the book of of Revelation. So you can just see here, and we've got a little card for you guys. If you guys would like us to get you something like that, uh, or you just want to take a picture of it on the screen, you can do that um, as well. So the Bible actually reveals in so many different ways in writing what I know internally is true. Now think about that. I read the Bible, it tells me things, and I go, I know that. I feel that. I felt that before I read that. I think I believed that or thought about that even before I read that. The questions to the questions of life you and I all have. But again, unless we know what the Bible says, we won't really know how important it is. We just won't know how important it is. So Paul writes to Timothy, a young 
man who had become a pastor in a church. This is what, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable. Okay, I like that word profitable. Capitalists like profit. Um, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so the purpose of God's word is to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in himself, to teach us more about himself. So that through life, being in Christ, we can be equipped, we will know him more, we will grow in the knowledge of him. And God also used that book to bring revelation to we who are still in Adam to know that not only does God want you to be taken out of this original family that we were all born into and be born into Christ and to grow in the knowledge of him, to realize that God has given us, if you will, I'll talk about this more in a minute, a love letter of his care for us. And, and here's the cool thing about all this too is that this teaching and reproving is love motivated. You know, God is not standing there with a mallet just waiting for us to make a mistake, which is exactly what my meology taught me. Okay. Training, correction, all that is motivated by God's love for us to experience him and to experience the joy of being obedient to his care. So that, that was just not the picture of religion that I had grown up with, that I held by faith, sincere faith, but sincerely wrong. Um, and then I thought, when I started hearing this, it's like love motivated? God is love motivated to me? He really loves me? He just doesn't endure me? He just doesn't put up with me? Now, the Bible teaches me that God's love for me is beyond. There's a part in this, a scripture that says, that we could know how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God for us. And the thought that a perfect love would, would love the likes of us in such a declarative way should humble us to desire to know him more and that's why we should be motivated to read the Bible. I mean. It, it teaches me that Jesus bore the wrath and the anger of God that I, I rightly deserved. I mean, can you imagine better news than that? Can you actually imagine better news than that? And so, so the Bible is, is this manual that God has given us to, for life. I mean, you just can't do life Without it, I, any of you guys ever put together a, a, a bicycle at Christmas time, right? It's, you know, it's Christmas, it's the kids, it's the new bike, okay? And um, I, I don't know, this, the, typically these start going together around 12 midnight or 1 in the morning. And, you know, you just start putting that thing together, you know, who needs the instructions, right? You just put that together and then there's the bike and you're all excited about the bike. It looks like it's, the, the, you know, the... The uh, seat looks like it's where it belongs. The tires look right. The pedals are, maybe they're correct. But then all of a sudden you look down on the floor and you see this one piece. And you go, dang, I wonder what that's for. Um, and then what do you do? You look at the instructions. And you look for that piece and you look for that. 
and you go, and you see that piece and it says, important. This piece goes on early in the construction and is important for the stability of the bike. And then you put down the instructions. You quietly walk out, you open the door, the backyard, the cool night air. And you look up and you say, curse you, Mr. Schwinn, what kind of bicycle creator are you? Now, would that make any sense? No. Who got it wrong, Mr. Schwinn or me? Um, but how much are we like that when it comes to life and things don't go our way and we take our fists and we go, curse you, God? Why are you letting stuff like that happen to me? It's like, have you read the instructions? Have, have you any idea what I'm trying to protect you from and how much I love you and don't desire for you to go through all that? See, there's a big why and why to read the Bible. Uh, you know, the, the Bible reveals that you and I have, and I, and I want to try to emphasize this word. The Bible reveals that you and I have a need, a capital N-E-E-D, a need for God. And without him, those parts that make up life just don't really fit or come together. I mean, need is really the issue. And it's what the Bible tells us that each and every one of us have. There's an itch that we can't scratch. There's a hole that we can't fill. And the Bible tells me that I have, as a result of my own attitude and actions, fallen short. And the parts don't come together like God would have them, that I have a need that is tremendous. Now, remember last week we went to, uh, we went to Niagara Falls together. You missed it. It was a great trip. We went to Niagara together. Um, we talked about a guy by the name of Blondin, okay, the great Blondin who tightroped tight across um, the, the, the rapids at Niagara Falls. We talked about uh, believing whether or not he could take a person and put them in a wheelbarrow and take them from one side to the next. And we said, well, maybe you don't believe it, that's fine, but and that maybe you were just here curious, um, or maybe you're convinced, or maybe you're committed, and so, and maybe you're just here tonight saying, you know, I don't know if I believe this stuff or not, you know, we talked about this last week, uh, but I'm curious, I'm interested in learning more, or maybe you're convinced, you kind of grew up in church, you know about Jesus, not at all familiar with the Bible, uh, and so you didn't know there was anything more that God really offered. You just were trying to do the best you can and hope you died on a good day. That's what we talked about. Or maybe you're committed. You've actually uh, trusted Christ and his work alone, the cross alone, that gives us right standing with God and forgiveness with him. And so we talked about Blondin, that he stretched that tightrope across one side of the falls rapids to the other and asked, he said, do you believe I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the next? And then he, he came up and all of us were gathered together and, and we all went, well, uh, maybe, maybe not. And, and, and I said, well, I believe it. And then he said, get in. And I said, uh, maybe I don't believe to that degree. Well, imagine this, imagine this. Let's say I am, I'm facing you. The rapids are to my back, right? There's only one way to get in and out of Niagara Falls. There's only one 
ex, uh, ingress or egress. One way to get in, one way to get out. Uh, and I'm looking and you're noticing that my eyes are getting really big. And you're wondering, but you're beginning to feel this prickly heat on the back of your neck. And you turn around and the entire forest in which you came in, whereby there's only one way to get in and one way to get out, is on fire. It is on fire, fire. Like we're talking California fire. You're not getting in. You're not getting out. And Blondin walks up and says to you, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the next. Would you like to get in? See, now we're not talking about a public uh, display or some kind of act. We're talking about a matter of life and death. Now, you could go ahead and say, excuse me, Blondin, would you just get out of the way and I will tightrope myself across the rapids? Sure. Or maybe you think you can maybe just dive in and swim across, of which no one has ever survived. Or you could humble yourself. I could humble myself and say, I have a need that is so big, my life is burning up and I have no way of escape. I will trust you. See, that's what Jesus did. He went through the cross to one side, from one side to the other. Remember we talked about that huge chasm that separates us from God? And Jesus went and he strung that tightrope, if you will, so that he could bring whoever receives him and believes in him from a certain destruction to certain, as we talked about last week, security. But until you and I see that need, until that need is that big, um, this is just all interesting information. So hey, if it's interesting information to you right now, that's great. Thanks for coming to hear interesting information. But when, not if, but when, I will say you begin to realize and see that there is a need that nothing on this planet will be able to fill, fulfill. And you begin to, to think about, maybe I will take Blondin up on his offer. Maybe I will take Jesus up on his offer. Um, I, would, I would encourage you. you know, if God really does want you and me to come to him, then ask him. Are you, are you real? Is this real? Is what this guy's talking about real? I don't want to believe a lie. I want to believe a truth. And if this is the truth, I want to know it. God, would you just do whatever you need to do? And maybe he'd say, well, I brought you that stupid alpha course. I mean, what else do you need to know? <laughs> um, but really, that's something I can't create for you. That's something that I believe God creates within that, that realization that you and I need heart surgery. And we can't do that surgery on ourselves. And so when you and I see that, I would argue that if I had more time, I would argue that that is God's gift to us to see the depth of our need that we cannot plumb the depths of. That is God's love and his kindness to us. Wouldn't it be like a doctor 
If you had cancer and the doctor didn't tell you you had cancer, how loving would that be? You want a doctor that's going to feed it to me straight, doc. I want to know. Well, Jesus feeds it to us straight, and then he himself becomes the remedy, the one that meets the need so that we can have life for this short bit of time in the dash, meaning, purpose, and on the other side of our last heartbeat, life with him forever, if this is true. So here's, the, here's what's prob problematic, other than the time that I'm running out of. Two problematic issues are getting in this wheelbarrow. One, I cease insisting, I must cease to insist that God accept me based on my performance. I must cease to, to insist that God gives me what I want when I want it because I've been a good boy based on my performance, my me-ology. Uh, secondly, I have to stop insisting that I accept God based on his performance. Now think about that for a minute. God, if you loved me, you wouldn't have let that happen. God, if you really were there, that person wouldn't have done that to me. This instance wouldn't have happened. That circumstance wouldn't have taken place or would have taken place. Um, it's a full relinquishing of control of my life to the one he says, who says he loved me. And then, you know what he did? He died to prove it. See, self-dependence or meology says God owes me because of what I've done or not done. But biblical Christianity, receiving, following Christ says, I owe God. I owe God, but he paid for me. He paid my way. He did what I couldn't do so I could know him, life, now and with him forever. So, okay, I've got to speed through here. Secondly, God speaks on page 35, relationship. Okay. The Bible, as I said a little bit earlier, is God's love letter. And it's to reveal the truth about his character and his care. Therefore, in knowing what God's character really is, not what just I assume it to be, but what I know what his character is, and I come to know what his care for me is, it draws me to him. As I begin to see, as I said earlier, that need that I have that actually is drawing me toward him. Um, this is interesting here. Here's Paul writing to his second letter to, to Timothy. This is what he writes. He says that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that lead to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now let's just kind of unpack that just a little bit right now. Okay. As you were a little boy, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings. Now, why is it important to know the sacred writings? Because they are able to give you wisdom. They're not able to give you wisdom necessarily that saves you. They are able to give you wisdom that leads you out of Adam and into Christ. It gives you that wisdom to know I'm separated from God. I need to be born into, I need to become a new creation like we talked about last week. All right? It gives you wisdom that leads you to Christ through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, think about this. How important is this? If we're talking about life that lasts forever, okay, I mean, 
here's, from childhood, you have known this, the, the writings which are able to give you the wisdom to be an engineer, give you the wisdom to be an accountant, to be, give you the wisdom to be a doctor, a banker, to give you the wisdom to be a, a scientist of whatever sort, to give you the wisdom that gives you all these things that are going to last you a sum total of maybe 30 to 40 years. It's about the size, the length of a career. Why is it important to read the Bible? Well, if what this says is true, you've known the sacred rites, which are able to give you wisdom for something that will last you forever. Will bring you into the relationship that says, I will give you life and life abundantly now and forever. Does that mean you shouldn't be an engineer? Nonsense. Accountant? Of course not. Politician? Please don't. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? We study all these things, but this book gives us wisdom that leads us to see this and to desire this and to know this God that said, I came to get you because I want you. I came to get you because I want Did you hear what I said? I came, I came to get you because I, almighty, all knowledgeable, all wise, God want you. There's only one way you can come to me. And I want you to know that. See, the Bible is to draw us into relationship with God. And it's two ways. This is, what, this is Matthew's gospel, the 11th chapter. Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and burdened. In other words, come to me if you realize you've got a need that's bigger than you. You can't carry this weight on your own. I will give you rest. I mean, that word rest, I don't have time to talk about that word rest and all that it means, but just think about this. Burdened, weary, I'll take care of your need, which will give you no more stress as it pertains to life and the things that are weighing you down. Take my yoke, my burden upon you, and learn of me, for I am gentle and humbly, humble at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come to me. Say this. Come to me and I will give you life. Cast your burdens upon me and I will give you rest. See, he doesn't say come to me and I'll give you rules. Okay. He says come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you, I will give you life. He wants us to know him. His desire is for us to come to him. And then Jesus in John chapter 10, 10 says the thief comes to only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's talking about Satan there. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how can I resist evil. That's coming up in week seven. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Okay? These heavy burdens steal and kill and destroy the real life that God desires for you and me to have. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have stresses in life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have issues in life that, are, that just strike us down and grieve us. But in the midst of them, we will still know this one who has given us his life. Because he wants you and me, above all else, to know him relationally. He wants us to know him. We are made relational. Let me just say, that, you know, the, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. And the image of God is relational. It's, it's mind, it's will, it's emotions. 
Um, and so at the very depth of who we are, or the very height of who we are, we are relational. And I'll prove it. Um, go with me now. Stand at the door of a funeral home. And down the hall, as you stand at the door, is a coffin. And as you walk up to that coffin, and you gaze into the coffin, is the lifeless body of the person who is the closest person in the world to you. You there? Go there. Funeral home, walking up to a coffin. And in that coffin is the most dear, precious person in the world to you. Um, what would you not give to have them back? You'd give everything. Wouldn't matter how much money you had, how much stuff you had, you'd give it all. Why? Because in the depth of our being, we are relational. We are human beings who desire relationship, yearn for relationship. About 2,000 years ago, God stood over a coffin. And that coffin was the lifeless bodies of each and every one of us, separated from him, dead in our sins, no life. And what would he not give that we would have life? He gave a son. He gave everything so that you and I could have life. See, this Bible speaks of relationship, and God wants us to know that relationship. All right, I've got to hurry because I am really behind. Um, but think about that. That I don't want to rush through. So God directs us to Himself through the Bible. All right. Um, we're going to go over this at our tables tonight, so I'm just going to run through this. But faith comes, the Bible says, through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if I want faith in God to be de developed, I, I want to spend more time in reading God's love letter to me. I want to do that. There's a growing desire. When, when I surrender my life to Christ, the very first thing, the very next day after that night where I said, Jesus, I'm in the wheelbarrow. I say I do. I'm receiving the gift. I... Um, I just experience, I can't explain it, the next morning I just had to have a Bible, uh, I didn't put my hand on it and make promises anymore, no more promises, uh, and I just began to devour, and it made sense, and I saw God's love, and it was so fulfilling. Um, um, Again, here's this scripture that we talked about earlier, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Okay? It's so all of it is, is given for you and me to know and to know Christ more. So, real quickly, how do we hear God speak through 
the Bible. Well, I would, I would encourage it. One of the first things we have to do, how should I read the Bible? Well, this is what I would encourage you to do tonight. This is just my encouragement. You know, with the Bible, it's not how much information you get through. It's how much goes through you, if you will. So I would encourage you just tonight, maybe, or during the week, read, go to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and just read 13 verses of John, the first 13 verses of John. And just ask a couple of questions there. What does it say to me? What does it mean to me? How does this apply to my life? And then I'd stop. I'd say, God, would you make this clear to me a little bit more? I'd read it again. And I'd ask yourself the three questions again. And then I'd pray again. God, what does, would you? And I can tell you this from experience. It is rare that I don't have an opportunity to read the scripture that I don't get something new that was always written there to begin with, but I just began to see it. And so, um, so I would encourage you to do that. So take some time. Maybe just say, you know, I'm going to get up five minutes earlier today. I'm going to stay up ten minutes later, and I'm just going to start reading. Just start reading in the Gospel of John. And, uh, and then just ask God before you do, God, would you just make this clear to me? I want to understand. I want to understand. So I'm going I'm to quit here, but um, I don't have this, but if you want to write this in your book, John 8, 31, 32, it's just such a wonderful scripture. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus said, you are really mine. You are really mine, my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from lies. Set, set you free from being sincere, but sincerely wrong. It'll, it'll set you free to know the true and the living God that said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I've given you my love letter, the Bible, that as long as you're living on this planet, you will know me more and more through that. And then there's a day coming when your heart stops that if you've trusted me, you've gotten in the wheelbarrow, you've said I do, you've received the gift, you won't need that book anymore because you'll have me. So... Okay, well, let's take a, a quick break. Um, tonight, if, folks, if, you're, uh, if you want to, if you've got questions at the house, if you don't, you can just go to the Lakeview Christian Center uh, app and click on the questions for week five. Next week, we're going to be in session five. So this is typically session six. Next week, session five. Uh, how and why do I pray? Uh, this is a great one, particularly for those of us who kind of grew up in a high liturgical churches. How do I pray? Is it just a rote memory that I need and I just repeat those prayers? Or how do I communicate with God? So I'm very excited about us cracking the book next week and uh, seeing more about that. But thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for being with us online. And we hope to see you again next week. Thanks so much.